0: Yeah, our Bible reading this morning is from Colossians chapter 2, beginning at verse 6. It's not part of scripture, but the heading is Spiritual Fullness in Christ. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. Rooted and built up in him. Strengthened in the faith as you were taught. And overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive. Through hollow and deceptive philosophy. Which depends on human tradition. And the elemental spiritual forces of this world. Rather than on Christ. For in Christ. All the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your sinful nature was put off when you were circumcised by Christ having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us he has taken it away nailing it to the cross and having disarmed the powers and authorities he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them by the cross this is the word of our lord well good
1: morning christ church it's uh... So good to be able to be with you, and my apologies that um, I couldn't be here a fortnight ago when we should have looked at this passage. It's just that that week I had tested positive for COVID, so I had to self-isolate. And so in a rather unusual order, we come to uh, Colossians chapter 2 and verses 6 to 15. Before we look at it in detail, let's just pray together. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. Amen. When I looked at this passage in my favorite commentary, the very first sentence in the commentary said this quote that's on the screen. There can be no doubt that for us, This is one of the most difficult passages that Paul ever wrote. So thank you to Anna for giving this passage to me. Anytime, David. (laughs) I should think Mike's grateful because you usually give the awkward ones to him, don't you? Okay. But still, although it's difficult, well, I had a friend who used to say, nothing worthwhile is ever easy. And I think there's a lot of truth in that. So let's look at it because there's lots of good stuff in here. And um, had it come in the right order, it would have been following the first few verses of uh, Colossians chapter 2 that Ed spoke to us about, and he majored on the fact that Paul's purpose in writing these words to the church in Colossae was that they should be encouraged in heart and united in love so that we may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that we may know the mystery of God namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And so in our little passage, we begin with these words in verses 6 and 7. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, have you done that? If you have, how did you do that? Can I suggest it was by listening to the word, believing that word, and trusting in that word, and putting your faith in that word? That's how we began. So let's continue like that, rooted. In him in Christ and built up in him so we are rooted in the past and we are built up and strengthened in Christ and in our faith day by day and overflowing with thankfulness it says now Jesus warns us about deceiving ourselves by just listening to his words and not putting it into practice And he says, don't do that. Don't deceive yourselves by just listening to the word. Instead, put it into practice. So here's an opportunity for us. Overflowing with thankfulness. I heard a story about um, a small chapel that was in quite a remote place and didn't generally get that many people going, but there was one man who went and every week he would pray a prayer in the time of open prayer of thanksgiving well one sunday there had been a tremendous amount of snow falling and that day only the minister and this one man turned up to this chapel and the minister thought he'll have a job to be thankful today But sure enough, this man stood up and said, thank you, Lord, that the weather's not like this every day. And as we look around us, and as we look at our world, and as we look at our lives, and as we look at one another this morning, surely we can overflow with thankfulness. Anna reminded me this morning that two years ago we couldn't meet together we couldn't have fellowship together we couldn't share friendship together we couldn't share a cup of tea and some refreshments together today we can so I'd like us to put this into practice and you've been sat a while so can I encourage you all please will you stand now please and I'd like to encourage one or two of you, at least, to lead us in a short prayer of thankfulness. Will you do that? I'll start us off. And uh, just a short prayer, something you can be thankful for today. So, Lord, I thank you for the opportunity for us to meet together, to be together, to have fellowship together in your house, in your presence, with each other now. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. So thank you, Lord, for the obedience and readiness of your people to respond to your word. Amen. Please be seated. I wonder if you'd just put the next slide up, David, because I wanted to remind you that right at the start of this series, Anna um, gave us a little piece of paper with this on, and uh, it's uh, taken from Colossians chapter 1. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. And we were asked to fill in a little bit there, continuing that. And then we continually ask God for something. Have you kept that? Will you continually ask God for his blessing upon us all here at Christ Church? And that his work will grow through us here. Now let's take this on a little bit further to the next verses. Where uh, Paul says, see to, it that, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. So what were these hollow and deceptive philosophies? Well, Anna pointed out at the start where Colossae was, in the modern country of Turkey. And Colossae may well have been at that time a city of 50-50% Gentiles and Jews. Certainly from historical records and particularly tax records which showed who paid what, it is clear that there was a very sizable Jewish community in Colossae. And this uh, hollow and deceptive philosophy seems to be a bit of a mixture of Gentile thought and uh, Jewish thought. There was a particular heresy at the time called Gnostic uh, heresy, And maybe that influenced what um, these hollow and deceptive philosophies were. Nobody's really quite sure, but we think that certainly from uh, what Paul wrote, that there was a dependence on human tradition. And I find it interesting that whenever in the Bible the word tradition is mentioned, it's generally spoken against. So Paul warns us about this hollow and deceptive philosophy of just following human tradition. And also, there was a strong dependence on astrology and studying the stars. Even the great world leaders of that time, like Julius Caesar or Alexander the Great, would not embark on a military campaign without consulting the stars. Were the planets in the right place? Were the stars aligned to bring uh, success to their ventures? There was a strong belief in astrology. From the Jews, there was probably an insistence on circumcision, and Paul makes it clear that it's not the cutting away of a piece of human flesh that's important. It's the cutting away by Christ of what's unhealthy and unhelpful in our lives that is the sort of circumcision that ought to take place. Maybe as well there was an observance of special days like new moons and Sabbaths, Um, and Anna has dealt with this uh, in her talk. There was a dependence on ascetic practices and rigorous self-discipline and some of those practices you may find helpful you may find it helpful to indulge in a certain amount of self-discipline in certain ways you might do naught to 5k or something you might adopt certain eating habits that you find helpful but Paul warns us against these hollow and deceptive philosophies that they're not necessary besides what Christ has done. And there was the suggestion that Christ is not all-sufficient. And Anna dealt superbly last week with the fact that Christ is sufficient. And Hannah, who led our worship last week, led us in a new song, new to me anyway, that Christ is enough, and he is. So maybe there are some of the hollow and deceptive philosophies that were around at the time. But it seemed to me what's more important to us and maybe a bit more relevant to us is what are the hollow and deceptive philosophies that surround us today in 2022. And it seemed to me that here are a few. Now here's a hollow and deceptive philosophy that style and sound bites. Are more important than substance? That lust and satisfying that is more important than true love? That economics is more important than the environment? And don't the advertisers repeatedly try to get us to believe that more stuff will bring us more satisfaction? If only we had the latest gadget, the latest iPhone, the latest trend. If only we had that, we would be so much happier. And then it seems to me there are sort of almost two extremes here in these next couple of things. One of the modern, I think, hollow and deceptive philosophies is that humans can solve all their problems themselves that we don't need God any longer. If you've read Sapiens, that uh, best-selling book recently, that seems to be the message there. We don't need God anymore. Science, humans, our intellect, our thought will eventually solve all the problems we face. I think that's deceptive philosophy. I need God, I am absolutely certain of that. And then at the other extreme, there's there's the thought that, well, we can't do anything. Who are we among so many? What can we accomplish? What will be, will be, and people adopt a very fatalistic attitude. Well, we can do something. And as Pauline was saying, you know, we can all do something to make this church and this community a, a safer place. I'm reminded of a story of two men who were walking along a beach. And as they walked along the beach, they saw hundreds of starfish that had been washed ashore on the beach. And as the two walked along, one man started to pick up some of these starfish and throw them back into the ocean. The other said to him, why are you bothering doing that? You can't throw all of them back. You can't make any difference here. And picking up one and throwing it back into the sea the man said well I can make a difference for that one we aren't going to change the world on our own but maybe and I would say certainly we can make a difference to someone there'll be someone in our home in our family in our workplace in our school in our street in our neighborhood, in the social groups that we're a part of, there'll be someone that we can make some difference in their lives. Let's do it. Now moving on to the next part of this uh, passage. There's a reference to being buried with Christ in baptism. And David Pawson the highly respected Bible teacher who actually left the Methodist church that his family had been in, his father was in, his grandfather had been in, and where he was ordained as a Methodist minister. He left and became a Baptist minister over the issue of infant baptism. And in the New Testament, baptism is always of believers and it's always by total immersion. And he said, David Pawson used to say regularly, baptism is an outward sign of an inward change, and it's a bath for dirty people. As you go down into the water, under the water, it's symbolic of washing away all that's unclean in our past, all the sin, all the guilt, all the bad things. And we come up out of the water clean. It's a bath for dirty people. But he also used to say, it's a burial for dead people. We die to the old way of life. We die to the old sins that attracted us, that kept us, that perhaps in some cases bound us. And we went under the water and sort of temporarily for a second or so, we buried there with Christ under the water. And then. We rise out of the water as Christ rose from the grave. And we uh, rise to a new life in Christ. We're aware of something different. And we have different uh, leanings and different inclinations and higher thoughts. If you missed it, two weeks ago when Paul swapped with me because he was ready to preach, he talked more about being dead to the old things and alive in Christ. Listen to that one online if you, uh, if you missed it. So let me finish today with a story. And when I get to the punchline of this story, I think it summarizes everything that I want to say to you in just one sentence. Thank you, Ellie. And the story is about a, a very wealthy man who was happily married... And he and his wife had a baby boy, and they were happy as a family together. This man was wealthy, and he was an art collector. He had a big house, he had servants, he had money, and he used his money to buy paintings. And he bought some famous ones by some famous artists. Unfortunately, his wife died and left him and a young son to bring up. And he instilled in his son a love of art. And as his son grew and became a young man himself, the two of them together would go to art fairs and buy more paintings and accumulate more paintings in the house. His son inherited his father's love of art. But as he reached manhood, that young man was called up to serve in the war. And unfortunately, not that long after being called up, he was killed in action. One day at the house where the man lived, a knock came at the door. And a young man was standing there with a parcel in his hand. And he said, I was a friend of your son's in the army. And I'm an artist. And together we would talk about art and share our love of art And I did this sketch of your son. This isn't the actual sketch, it's just a sketch I could find. And the man was delighted with the picture. He thought it was a good likeness of his son, he thought it captured him, and he was so grateful for it. And he said, this picture will have pride of place in my house. I'm going to hang this over the fireplace I thank you so much for this gift. Some years later, when the man died, his artworks came up for auction. And this caused quite a stir in the art world. Some famous paintings, some by famous artists, were going to be auctioned off. And so people came from far and wide to the auction. When the auction started, the auctioneer said, Uh, There's one condition, there are some conditions to this sale, and one condition is the portrait of his son must be the first one to be sold. Who'll make a bid for this picture? Well, it wasn't by anybody famous, it wasn't one of the well known ones, no one was interested. But then one person made one bid. It was one of the servants in the house who'd actually enjoyed working with the father and knew the son, and he made a modest bid for the painting. Nobody else was interested, nobody else counterbid, so he got the picture. And that concludes the sale, said the auctioneer. There was consternation in the room. People had come from far and wide. What about the famous paintings? What about those by famous artists? The auctioneer explained, the man had left in his will the stipulation that the portrait of the sun be sold first and whoever has the sun has everything. And it seems to me that, that sums up the Christian life. Whoever has the Son of God in their lives has everything. Everything we need for salvation, everything we need for living the Christian life. We've got everything we need. We don't need astrology, we don't need to read our horoscopes, we don't need to follow human tradition. We don't need to observe special days. We don't need to follow ascetic practices. We don't need to go on a special diet. We don't need to follow the hollow and deceptive philosophies of our day and age. Whoever has the sun has everything. Do you have him? If you have, you have everything you need for spiritual life. We're going to sing the song, Above All, and Al's going to lead us in it. Whoever has the Son has everything, because Christ is in all, he's through all, he's above all, he's over all. So let's stand together and sing this song together, and really mean it, Above All.